Chapter Six, Part One of the Planet Strappers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Planet Strappers by Raymond Z. Gallen. Chapter Six, Part One. The asteroid palace was a chunk of rich core material, two hundred some miles in its greatest dimension. It had a mottled pinkish shine, partly from untarnished lead, osmium, considerable uranium some iron, nickel, silver, copper. The metals were alloyed here, almost pure there. There was even a little rock, but 35% of Pallas's roughly spherical mass was said to be gold. Gold is not rare at the cores of the worlds, to which most of the heavy elements must inevitably sink during the molten stage of planetary developments. On Earth it must be the same, though who could dig through 3,000 miles into a zone of such heat and pressure? But the asteroid world had exploded. Pallas was an exposed and cooled piece of its heart. Pallas had a day of 24 hours because men, working with great ion jets angling towards the stars, had adjusted its natural rate of rotation for their own convenience to match the terrestrial. A greater change was Palliston. Frank Nelson and Miguel Ramos made the considerable journey to it without further incident. Because he was tense with hurry, Nelson's impressions were superficial. Something like serene, but bigger and more fantastic. A man weighed only a few ounces here. Spidery guidance towers could loom impossibly high. There were great storage bins for raw metals brought in from all over the belt. There were rows of water tanks. As on the moon, the water came mostly from gypsum rock, or occasionally from soil frost, both found on nearby crustal asteroids. Beyond the refineries bulged the domes of the city itself. Housing factories, gardens, recreation centers, and sections that got considerably lost and divergent, trying to imitate the apartment house areas of Earth. Frank Nelson's wonder was hurried and dulled. Gimp Hines and David Lester were waiting inside the Stellene reception dome when Nelson and Ramos landed lightly at the port on their own feet, with no more braking assistance than their own shoulder ionics. Greetings were curiously breathless, yet casual, but without any backslapping. "'We'd about given you two up,' Gimp said. "'But an hour ago, Joe Cusack beamed me and said you'd be along with some museum stuff.' Les lives here now, working with the new Archaeological Institute. "'Hi, good to see you guys,' Ramos said. "'Likewise. Hello, Les,' Frank put in. While Frank was gripping David Lester's limp, diffident hand, which seemed almost to apologize for his having come so far from home, Gimp teased a little. "'So you latched on to Art Kuzak, too, or was it the other way around?' Frank's smile was lopsided. I didn't analyze motives. Art's a pretty good guy. I suppose we just wanted to help Joe and him out. Or maybe it was instinct. Anyhow, what's wrong with latching onto, or being latched onto, by somebody who you feel will get himself and you ahead, and make you both a buck? Check. Not a darn thing, Gimp laughed. Now let's go to my hotel and have a look at what you brought in. Did you really examine it yet? Some on the way, not very much, Ramos said. There's a camera. 
In the privacy of Gimp's quarters, the bundles were opened, the contents, some of them dried and gruesome, all of them rather wonderful, were exposed. David Lester and Gimp Hines were both quietly avid. Lester knew the most about these things, but Gimp's hands, on the strange camera, were more skillful. The cautious scrutiny of dials and controls, marked with cryptic numerals and symbols, and the probing of detailed parts and their functions, took about an hour. "'What do you think, Les?' Gimp asked. "'I'm not an expert yet,' Lester answered. "'But as far as I know, this is the first undamaged camera that has yet been found. That makes it unique. Of course, by now, hoppers are bringing in quite a lot of artifacts from surface asteroids. But there's not much in the way of new principle for our camera manufacturers to buy. Lens systems, shutters, shock mountings, self-developing, integral viewing, projecting, and sonic features all turn out to be similar to ours. It's usually that way with other devices, too. It's as if all their history and ours were parallel. Well, damn it, let's see what the thing can show, Ramos gruffed. In the darkened room, the device threw a rectangle of light on the wall. Then there was shape, motion, and color, kept crystallized from sixty million years before. A cloud, pinked by sunrise, floating high in a thin, expanded atmosphere. Did clouds everywhere in the universe always look much the same? Wolfish, glinting darts, vanishing away. Then, a mountainside covered with spiny growths that, from a distance, seemed half cactus and half pine. A road, a field, a dull, hued cylinder pointing upwards. Shapes of soft, bluish-gray, topped like rounded roofs, unfolding out of a chink, and swaying off in a kind of run, with little clinkings of equipment, for there were sounds, too. Two eye-like organs projecting upward, the pupils clear and watchful. A tendril with a ridged, dark hide waving what might have been a large blue flower, which was attached to the end of a metal tube by means of a bit of fiber tied in a granny knot, a sunburst of white fire in the distance. It could have gone on, perhaps for many hours, reality with every detail sharp, parallels with earthly life, maybe even sentiment was there, if you only knew how it was shown. But in the differences you got lost, as if in a vivid dream that you couldn't fully understand. Though what was pictured here was certainly from the last beautiful days of a competing planet. Frank Nelson's mouth often hung open with fascination, but his own realities kept intruding. They prodded him. I hate to break this off, he said, but a lot of asteroid hoppers are out at the post waiting for Ramos and me to bring stuff back. It's a long ride through a troubled region. There's plenty to get arranged beforehand. So first, what do we do to realize some quick funds out of these relics? Hines terminated the pictured sequence. Frank Ramos, I'll keep this camera, he said urgently. It's a little bit special, at least. History is here, to be investigated. Offers, bids could come up. Okay, I'm talking about dough again. Still, who wants to detach himself right away from something pretty marvelous by selling it? I'll dump most of the other things. Getting a loan? 
The hock-shop approach is no good. Am I telling it right, Les? Lester nodded. More of the same will be brought in. Prices will drop. Archaeological Survey has a buying service for museums back home. I've been working for them for a month. I don't claim to love them entirely, but they'll give you the safest break. You should get enough for your purposes without the camera. With a load like this, you can see Doc Linford, the boss, at any time. Right now, then, Frank said. Hey, you impolite slobs, Ramos laughed. When do you consult me, co-discoverer and owner? All right, skip it. You're the Wizard of Oz. I'll just grab a few items for my ma and the kids, and maybe a girl or two I'll meet someplace. You guys might as well do the same. He took some squares of fabric, silk and soft, though spun from fibers of colored glass, and some wheeled devices, which might have been toys. Lester and Hines picked up only token pieces of the fabric. Frank took a three-inch golden ring that glinted with mineral. Except that it looked decorative, he had no idea of its original purpose. The broken, fine-boned mummy and the other items were appraised and bought in a large room across the city. It was already cluttered with queer fossils and objects. The numbers printed on the two equal checks and on the cash in their hands still looked slightly mythical to Nelson and Ramos, to whom a thousand dollars had seemed a fortune. Later, at the USSF headquarters, he was prepared to argue grimly. Words were in his mind. A vital matter of supply. Without an escort, we still have to try to get through alone. You have been informed, therefore. If anything happens, you will be responsible. He didn't have to say anything like this. They knew. Maybe an old bitterness had made him misjudge the USSF. A young colonel smiled tiredly. This has been happening, he said. We have limited facilities for this purpose. The UNSF even less. However, an escort is due in now. We can move out again with you in seven hours. Thank you, sir, Nelson responded. Gimp Hines had the better part of the supplies to be purchased already lined up at the warehouses. Nelson counted the money he had left. Figuring losses and gains, I have no idea how much I owe J. John, if anything, he laughed. So I'll make it a grand, build up my ego. But we owe old Paul more than dough. All right, I'm another idiot. I'll mail J. John a similar draft, Ramos gruffed. Paul's a problem. He can use money, but he never lived for it. And you can't buy a friend. We'll have to rig something. Yeah, we will, Gimp said. Couple of times I forgot J. John, but I lost my shirt on those loads that were lifted off you boneheads. The Kuzaks reimbursed me for half. Do you two want to cover the other half? Ah, oh, forget it. Who's got time to figure all this? That old coot doped himself out a nice cash-dollar scheme, making us promise. Or was it a leg-pull on a highly elusive proposition, where big sums and the vastness of space seemed to match? Hell, I'm getting mixed up again. David Lester had wandered off embarrassedly, there in the warehouse, but now he returned, clearing his throat for attention. Fellas, he said, Helen and I want you to come out to our apartment now for dinner. Shucks, that's swell, Les, Ramos responded, suddenly curious. 
Here also, Nelson enthused. Sure, Gimp said, but his smile thinned. In this gravity, going to Lester's place was a floating glide rather than a walk, along a covered causeway, into a huge dome, up a wall with handholds, onto a wispy balcony. Nelson and Ramos brought liquor and roses. Much of what followed was painful and familiar, in a fantastic setting. Two young people, recently married, struggling with problems that they hadn't been able to plan for very well. While his wife was out of earshot, Lester put his hand on the back of a chair constructed entirely of fine golden wire. Later it developed that he had made it, do-it-yourself fashion, to be economical, and seemed more intent on holding it down than to rest his hand. Gimp, Frank, he began nervously, you helped Helen and me get married and get set up out here. The Archaeological Institute paid our way to Palestine, but there were other expenses. Her, my father-in-law, died by his own hand while still awaiting trial. Everything he owned is still tied up. Now, well, you know human biology. I hope you can wait a little longer for us to begin paying back your loan. Nelson had a vagrant thought about how money now had to stand on its own commercial value, rather than rely on the ancient witchcraft of a gold standard. Then he almost suspected that Lester was being devious and clever, but he knew the guy too well. Cripes, Lest, he burst out almost angrily. How about your services, just now as an archaeological consultant? If you won't consider that we might have meant to make you a gift, pretty soon you'll have us completely confused. What a topic for an evening of fun, Gimp complained. Hey, Helen, can I mix the drinks? Yes, of course, Mr. Hines. I'll get you the things, she said, with an apology in her eye and voice, as if fussy celebrities had descended on her small, unsettled, and poor household. On the moon you were a swell cook, Helen, Frank reminded her. She flashed a small smile. It was different there. Things weighed something and stayed in place. Here, just breathe hard, and you have a kitchen accident. Besides, I had a garden. We'd like one here, but there's no room, and in the market. Shucks, it's new here to us, too, Ramos soothed. Riding an archer in space at zero-g is different from this. Things were a bit less strained after that. Through the skimpy meal, with its special devices, unique to the asteroid, and their tiny gravity. Clamps to fasten plates to tables and victuals to plates, drinking vessels that were half-squeeze bottles. Such equipment was now available in what might have once been called a dime store, but with another price level. The visitors made a game of being awkward and inept together. It was balm for Helen's sensitivity. "'Somebody's got to keep the camera for us, Mex,' Frank Nelson said presently. "'Yeah, I know. Les'll do it for us,' Ramos answered. "'He's the best there. He can run through all the pictures, make copies with an ordinary camera, see if he can market them. Twenty percent ought to be about right for his cut.' Lester tried to interrupt, but Frank got ahead of him. "'We owe Gimp for those loads we lost. Got to cut him into this as a consultant.' You'll be around Palestine for a while, helping out with this end of the twins' enterprise, won't you, Gimp? Hines grinned. Probably. Glad you slobs got memories. Glad to be of assistance any time. Les is no louse. 
He'll help, old friends. I'll bring him the camera out of the safe at my hotel as soon as we leave here. Lester smiled doubtfully, then happily. This was how they worked the fabulous generosity of spacemen in the chips on him. Nelson, Ramos, and Hines escaped soon after that. Three hours left. I guess you guys want to get lost, separately, Gimp chuckled. I'll say so long at the launching catapults. Later, I've got some tough guards fresh from the moon who will go along with you. Art and Joe need them. Frank Nelson wandered alone in the recreation area. He heard music, Firestreak, Queen of Serene. He searched faces, looking for an ugly one with shovel teeth. He thought, with achy wistfulness, of a small hero-worshipping girl named Jenny Harper at Serene. He found no one he had ever seen before. In a joint, he watched a girl with almost no clothes do an incredible number of spinning somersaults in midair. He thought he ought to find himself a friend, then decided perversely to hell with it. He thought of the trouble on Earth, on Ceres, of Tiflin and Igor, of Fanshawe, the latest leader of the asteroid belt toughs, the jolly lads, that you heard about. He thought about how terribly vulnerable to attack Palestin seemed, even with its encirclement of outriding guard stations. He thought of Paul Hendricks, Two and Two Baines, Charlie Reynolds, Otto Kramer, Mitch Story, and Miss Rosalie Parks, who was his old Latin teacher. He thought of trying to beam some of them, but hell, they all seemed so long lost, and he wasn't in the mood now. He even thought about how it was trying to give yourself a dry shave with a worn-out razor inside an archer. He thought that sometime, surely, perhaps soon, the big vacuum would finish him. He wound up with a simple, sentimental impulse, full of nostalgia and tenderness for things that seemed to stay steady and put. The way he felt was half-hearted apology for human moods in which murder would have been easy. He even had a strange envy for David Lester. Into the synthetic celluloid lining of a small carton bought at a souvenir shop, he placed the sixty-million-year-old golden band, with its odd aberesques and its glinting chips of mineral. Regardless of its mysterious, intentional function, it could be a bracelet. To him, just then, it was only a trinket that he had picked up. Before he wrapped and addressed the package, he put a note inside. Hi, Nance Cottis. Thinking about you and all the neighbors. This might reach you by Christmas. Remember me? Frank Nelson. Postage was $200, which seemed a trifle, and he didn't quite realize how like a king's ransom a gift like this would seem in Jarviston, Minnesota. On leaving the post office, he promptly forgot the whole matter, as hard, practical concerns took hold of him again. At the loading quays, special catapults hurled the gigantic bales of supplies clear of Palace. To the Kuzaks, this shipment would now have seemed small, but it was much larger than the loads Ramos and Nelson had handled before. Gimp and Lester saw them off. Then they were in space, with extra ionics pushing the bales. The guard of six new men was posted. Nelson wasn't sure they'd be any good or whether he could trust them all, but they looked eagerly alert. Riding a mile off was the Space Force patrol bub. All through the long journey, beam calls ahead were avoided for added safety. 
Nelson kept wondering if he'd find the post in ruins, with what was left of Art and Joe drifting and drying. But nothing like that happened yet, and the shipment was brought through. Business with the asteroid hoppers was started at once. When there was a lull, Art Kuzak talked expansively in his office bub. Good work, Frank. Same to you, Ramos. Except that I know you're itching with your own ideas and probably won't be around long. Which is your affair. Never mind what anybody says about Venus or any other place. The belt, with its history, its metals, and its possibilities, is the best part of the solar system. Keep your defenses up, your line of communication covered, and you can't help but make money. There are new posts to set up, help to recruit and bring out, stellene plants and other factories to construct. There'll be garden bubs, repair shops, everything. Time, work, and a little luck will do it. You listening, Frank? Nelson got a bit cagey with Art again. Okay, Art, you seem like a formal fella. Mex and I joined up and helped out pretty much as informal company members. But as long as we've put in our dough, let's make it official, in writing, and signed. The KRNH Enterprises. Cusack, Ramos, Nelson, and Hines. The H could also stand for Hendricks, Paul Hendricks. I like it that way, you suspicious slob, Art Cusack chuckled. So another phase began for Nelson. Offices bored him. Amassing money, per se, meant little to him, except as a success symbol that came out of the life he had known. He figured that a man ought to be a success, even a rough-and-tumble romantic like Ramos or Joe Cusack, or himself, with both distance and home ingrained confusingly into his nature. One thing that Nelson was, was conscientious. He could choose and stick to a purpose for even longer than it seemed right for him. Mostly now, during the long grind of expansion, he was afield. Disturbances on Earth quieted for a while, as had always happened so far. The belt responded with relative peace. Tovi Circes, the big asteroid, which, like the others, should have been open to all nations, but wasn't, kept mostly to its own affairs. There were only the constant dangers, natural, human, and a combination. There was always a job, a convoy to meet, a load of supplies to rush to a distant point, jolly lads to scare off. Reckless Ramos might be with Nelson or Joe Kuzak, who usually operated separately, or a few guards or several asteroid hoppers, most of whom were tough and steady and good friends to know. Often enough, Nelson was alone. At first, KRNH just handled the usual supplies. But when factory and hydroponic equipment began to arrive, Joe Kuzak and Frank Nelson might be out establishing a new post. There'd be green help bubbing out from the moon to break in. Nelson would see new faces that still seemed familiar, because they were like those of the old bunch, as it had been. Grim, scared, young men full of wonder. But the thin stream of the adventurous was thickening as more opportunities opened. Occasionally there was a young couple. Oh, no, you thought. Then, well, maybe. That is, if somebody didn't crack up or get lymph node swellings that wouldn't reduce, and if you didn't have to try to play nursemaid. Now and then, Nelson was in Palestine for business, for relief, for a bit of hell-raising, to see Gimp and the David Lesters. 
Pretty soon there was an heir in the Lester household. Red, healthy, and male. Cripes out here, too. Okay, josh the parents along. The most wonderful boy in the solar system. Otherwise, matters there were much better than before. The camera was in a museum in Washington. The pictures it had contained were on TV back home. Just another anti-war film, maybe. But impressive and different. The earnings didn't change. Nelson's life much, nor Gimp's, nor Ramos's. But it sure helped the Lesters. End of Chapter 6, Part 1